0: Well, welcome to Timberlake Church. It's good to be with you. Whether you are at the Duval campus, Issaquah, Castle Rock, online, or right here at Redmond, it is good to be worshiping with you. My name is Carlos Ortiz. I am not Ben with the tan. I promise. Uh, my name is Carlos Ortiz. I am from Texas, and uh, just building this great relationship with Ben, and, and just great conversations. What an incredible pastor you have! And it is I want you to know, it's an honor to bring God's word this weekend. Before we jump into this series, my big mouth, I want to let you know I do have five kids. And I keep getting asked, are you Mormon? No, I'm not Mormon. We're just very loving family. Uh, and so uh, I am married to a beautiful woman named Libby. And uh, we've been married 18 years. And, and I got to tell you, as we talk about my big mouth, and really I get to kind of continue this series, it's one of those things that uh, my, wa- my wife and my kids always call me out. My big mouth. You know, I, I I'm passionate. So I'm half Puerto Rican. Half Mexican, which is Mexican, but really it's just all mixed up. And so Mexican people tend to be really conservative and very passionate, but conservative. And Puerto Ricans are just loud, right? So if the volume goes up a little bit, just blame it on my DNA and it's just fine, okay? Um, but it's who we are. And, and I want to let you know that as we jump into this week's message, I, I want you to have your heart open. Uh, because part of the way we're going to deliver this message this week is really asking ourselves, myself included, some really tough questions about how we lead our home life. So if you're going to give a little title to this week's message, it's Home Sweet Home. And what is your mouth, what are the words coming out of your mouth look like inside of your home? And so I want to give you a little insight. Anytime somebody's speaking for the very first time at a new place, uh, it's very easy to get caught up with trying to impress people. Like you want to give this really good message. And Ben and I are becoming friends. And he's like, man, I want Ben to like my message. So anytime somebody new's coming, you got to know they're fighting this internal thing of trying to impress. But it's not just somebody who's speaking for the very first time. I mean, how many times do we try to impress somebody and there's a lack of authenticity in our lives? Whether it's a coworker or first time on a job or, or you're interviewing somebody. And you try to project this image as opposed to just being who you are and how God created you to be. And so as we talk about our homes, how many times have we tried to project that we have a home that we actually don't have? How many times we project this happy image and you just finish yelling at each other and you push a, a smiley face? Uh, the other day, I was, I was, my daughter and I were in a disagreement. Uh, my oldest daughter is 14 years old, which means we disagree about every hour on the hour. It's just the way it works, being 14. And we were in the middle of a disagreement and somebody said, take a picture. And in the middle of just being really mad at me, she got in her 14-year-old selfie post. And it was just like... That is a talent. That's a real talent for a 14-year-old. She was yelling at me, stopped, and took the perfect picture. I don't know how she does it. But she does it because maybe mom and dad have modeled projecting something that really isn't there. So I got to let you know, it doesn't matter what kind of home you have, what kind of home you represent. We feel like this message will land for everybody. Because you might come from a single-parent home. Or maybe you lead a single parent home. Maybe, maybe you, you have a, a traditional model home, but it's not very traditional day-to-day. Maybe your grandparents raising your second set of children. Maybe you have a roommate that's still a home that you're trying to build and make a culture around. Or maybe you live by yourself. It doesn't really matter. You could be a blended family, an interracial family. There's so many different components of a home, but there's one thing that's true. We are given the responsibility of building the culture and using the right words and language to build our homes. So I want to ask you a quick question. What is the literal aroma of your home? So I might walk into your home and it might smell like Scentsy because maybe you're a dealer. All right, Sensei dealer. Or, or maybe it might smell like coffee because we are in the Seattle area. Uh, maybe it smells like Italian food because maybe you might be Italian and you're always cooking. Or, or maybe it smells like junior high boys, which isn't great, right? Junior high boys, it's not a good smell. I'm glad we're out of that phase. He's 17 now, we're good. Um, but, uh, or maybe it smells like my home. My home always smells like homemade tortillas. Man, that was awesome. And my mom, my my brothers and I would get so excited whenever we walked in the house because we knew, we knew that if there were tortillas, the smell of tortillas, and I'm saying that correctly, you're saying it wrong most of the times, okay? (laughs) Tortillas, that meant that my mom was making a meal from scratch. And my mom has these Popeye forearms because she started making tortillas when she was eight years old for her brothers. And we knew, oh, it's going to be so good. Until my mom turned 50 and said, I'm retiring from making tortillas. We're going to the store and buying them now. But what is the aroma in your home? And the aroma, the literal aroma in our home is reflective of the ingredients in our home. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's a smell. It's that, oh, my new smell is Glade Hawaiian Breeze. Oh, it's so awesome. I should get sponsorship for that, right? It's so good. But there's another kind of aroma in the home. The intangible aroma of your home. Or maybe your intangible aroma is hard work and discipline. We're going to work hard. We're going to be disciplined. My kids are going to study. Everything's going to be in order. Everything's going to be in the right place. And that is the intangible aroma of your home. Or, Or maybe it's fun loving and laid back. You know those people who say, Come on in, kick off your shoes. You know, do whatever you want in our house. The fridge is yours. I mean, I love those kinds of homes. They're kind of cool to, to, to be a part of, but that's not the kind of home I have. It's like, no, you asked me for my food. Don't just go steal it. Those people are really hospitable, and when you walk in their house, they make you feel like it's your home. How about this one? Is God a part of the obvious culture in our home? Where does God lie in the culture of the home? The words that we use and the intangible parts of our life. And how do we know what's intangible and what's tangible? What's intangible is really basically the answer to this question. When you get squeezed by life, you get squeezed by circumstances, you get squeezed by your money situation, you get squeezed by relationships, you get squeezed by your children, your parents, your roommate, whoever it might be, what comes out? Is it anger, depression, fear? Those things are the intangible parts of the culture of our home. So, A sore spot for me, even though it's so much joy, is being a parent. So I was a horrible teenager, and that's a different story for a different time. And when my mom found out that Libby and I were going to have our first kid, she started uh, fasting and praying. Because she's like, you're going to be a horrible dad. (laughs) And she actually told me that. You know, when I was a teenager, my mom called called me the jerk, because I was just mean to everybody. And now God is going to entrust you with a child? Oh my goodness. She was afraid for me. And so now we have five of them, right? Uh, Because I'm just trying to get it right. So I just keep going until I get it right. And and so now I'm five and I think we're done. He's only two. There's a little bit more room. My wife says no, but I think we've got it right. But being a parent sometimes can bring up some insecurities because you can't control everything about your kids. And eventually they turn 11 and they become demon children. And you're like, what in the world just happened, right? And so now you're like praying over your house and what's going on? But sometimes as parents, or grandparents, the next generation is reflective of us. And we don't know what to do with that. And we get filled with, with angst and worry. And I saw a commercial a couple of weeks ago that when I saw it, I thought, man, this really encapsulates what it means to walk in the different emotions of trying to build a culture in your home for your kids to grow in. So what I wanted to do is make sure you were able to watch this commercial just like I was able to. So we're going to have this for you right now. I think that there is no one perfect way to do this I've somehow taken in the idea that there is a perfect way to do this Everybody wants to be the best parent Everybody wants to raise this perfect kid The hardest thing about parenting for me is knowing if I've given or done enough for them every day. Am I pushing him too hard? Am I not pushing him hard enough? I always feel like he deserves more than I can give him. And, you know, I wish I could be, like, home at four, making a gourmet meal, and we'd all sit down. And it's difficult to look back and think, wow, I should have been there. I worry that he's going to grow out of me, that there's not going to be time. <clears throat> You're never going to feel like you were doing it right Because It's too important I just want them to know I'm really trying I'm really, really trying, you know She's like the best and she like holds our family together. No, I mean, he's like a great dad, not like so-so. I hope to be half of the mom that she is because she set the standards really high. I'm trying not to cry, honestly, because talking about it, when I say she's my heart, she means the world to me. I'm the luckiest for a lot of reasons, but my parents being the top two. She has a pure heart and cares about people. See, my dad is great. Those dumb Cheese commercials. What does it have to do with cheese? Nothing. But it has everything to do with the fear and the worry and the doubt of our homes and being parents. And, 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 and maybe those of us who aren't parents yet, or maybe we're out of that season. But really, it does speak to the culture of our home. And as we jump into this week's message, I want you to know something very important. This is all about intentionality, and it's not about perfection. It's not about comparing ourselves to anybody else. It's about what is God calling you to do with your children in your home that is distinctly for you, for your family. Andy Stanley says this, everyone ends up somewhere and a few people end up somewhere on purpose. Those are the ones with vision. And that's what we wanna talk about today. The vision that God is giving us For our home. So how about this? Every home will end up somewhere. But not every home will end up somewhere on purpose. And every home is going to be different because you have a different recipe. A different makeup for your home. And it should be that way. That's what I love about churches like Timberlake. Nobody has to be cookie cutter. But we have to be intentional about the recipe that we're putting together to build culture in our home that is honoring to God. So our passage for today is out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And let me give you a little context before we jump in. Here we have the Israelites, God's people, who are now free from the Egyptians, they're now free from bondage, and they're going to the promised land. So after generations of being in slavery, they're now going to this dream of the promised land. And here we have God trying to get their attention. Because God is not in the business of short-term gain. God is in the business of making an impact for generations to come. So he's trying to prepare the people of Israel for life in the promised land. And not just life for them, but life for their children, grandchildren, and subsequent generations. So here we go. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. These are the commands decrees and regulations that the lord your god commanded me to teach you you must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy so here's what's happening in chapter 6 God is truly trying to prepare the people. Now you might be thinking, they got to be prepared. They were in slavery for generations. And now they went, through, they went through all that they had to go through. They went through the desert. They're going into the promised land. And now God finally wants to prepare them? It, it, it's as if you've worked so hard your whole life to get to a certain position in your company or to get that perfect job that moves you out to Seattle to be in this area And you're not really fully ready just yet. It's the same concept. And God is wanting them to understand, I want to do something in you. So what are the things that God wants to do? How does he want to prepare his people to be in the promised land, to be in the land flowing with milk and honey? There are going to be five things that we cover, and they're going to be right there in your notes. And here's the first one. Plan for what matters plan for what matters so let's read the second verse here we go and you and your children and your grandchildren must fear the lord your god as long as you live verse three if you obey all his decrees and commands you will enjoy a long life listen closely israel and be careful to obey then all will go well with you And you will have many children in the land, flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God your ancestors, promised you. Now listen, he's wanting them to plan. How do you know he's he's wanting them to plan? Because he wants them to understand what you're about to do, and what I have to do, and what you have to do, is make decisions that impact the following generation one of the values at Timberlake is going to be resources and time placed into the next generation. Why is that? Because your pastor, Pastor Ben, understands what we do now and the seeds we plant now matter 50 years from now. And if Timberlake is wanting to do that, how much more do we do that in our home or in our business? How, How more do we do that with our relatives and the people who are around us? Do we understand that everything we do does matter 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years from now. Now, I'm a product of two parents who were raised by single parents. And um, why is that important? Because I, have to, I want you to know that both of my grandmothers, both of my abuelitas is what we call them, they worked really hard to raise these kids. So my, my one grandmother had seven children and my other grandmother had nine children. And they were single moms, their husbands passed away, and they didn't go remarried and they didn't depend on somebody to provide for them. They worked really hard. My grandmother, one of my grandmothers actually, she, she went back to school, finished out her degree, and became a principal of an elementary school. This is a woman who was raised all over the country picking produce. She was a migrant worker. But she had a vision for what life could look like for her kids and her grandkids. So my grandmother, who was a migrant worker, who taught my mom to make those tortillas at nine years old, it wasn't because she wanted to teach her. It was because my mom was in charge of cooking the meals at nine years old. Because she had a parent who had a vision of what her life could look like and was willing to do the hard things, do we plan for what matters? That's what God's warning the people of Israel to do. Plan, not just so you can have short-term gain and the land flowing with milk and honey, not just so we could enjoy success in our business or success in life, but so our kids could enjoy a relationship with God the Father. And for grandchildren, that is what matters. When my grandmother passed away, I was at her funeral. And the day before, uh, my mom let me know that of all all her grandchildren, she wanted me to speak at her funeral. And I said, why did grandma want me to speak at her funeral? She said, because the most important thing in your grandma's life was God. And you're the first grandchild to go into the ministry, and she wants you to set the example of godly influence for your cousins. Even in her death, she planned ...for the next generation. And that's what God wants. For us to plan for what matters. So number two, not only plan for what matters, be passionate about what matters. We're going to read three verses here out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here we go. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength... And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. That word all can be really tough in today's culture. Ask somebody to give you everything they have. It's almost like a foreign concept. To give everything. But when you are passionate, when I am passionate, we give everything we have. And we know. I know when I go to bed at night, and I put my head in the pillow if I give everything I had. I also know if I gave everything to God, to my children, to the staff that I oversee at our church in Texas. My question is, do we ask ourselves these questions? Am I passionate and giving everything? The people around us know when we give everything. They know. They know when we are giving up. 50%, 75% are giving everything we have. God is calling us to be passionate. Now, we all express that differently. Some of you express that internally with internal fortitude, and you have a drive and a focus. Some of you are external like me, and your hands are going everywhere, and you're really loud, but that's how you express passion. I'm not telling you how to express the passion. I'm asking you and asking myself, am I passionate about what matters? The people in our life, they understand when we are passionate. My question, though, is are we passionate about God in a way that makes a difference in our family's life? Are we that passionate? And sometimes we try to impress our kids or impress our family members or impress so-and-so or impress a coworker, and God is calling us to make an impression in them, not to impress on them. I know that I'm making a difference in life when I do something out of just doing it for the right reasons and somebody notices that I did it for the right reason. As opposed to, I do something and I hope somebody notices. I just hope they notice. In that case, I'm trying to impress somebody and God has called me, not just as a pastor or a leader, but as a father and as a friend to make an impression in people. Are we doing that with the passion and the way that we live our lives? If you have children in the room, I want you to know something. Somebody's already impressing your kids. Somebody on television, somebody in the fashion industry, somebody in the music industry is way cooler than you will ever be as a parent or as a grandparent. Why are we even trying? It's not about impressing them. It's making an impression in them. And we're the only ones who get to do that because we're the only ones who get to be with them every single And that is what God is wanting from the people of Israel. To make such an impression in their children that they remember the God of their parents. So, plan for what matters. Be passionate about what matters. And number three, over-communicate what matters. Over-communicate what matters. Verse seven, here we go. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road. When you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Now, some of you are, are introverts, painful introverts, and I have two kids just like that. So just trying to get words out of them is like impossible. And other people are extroverts like me, and we need to have a little bit more economy of words. But the truth is, God is calling all of us to understand it's our job to be expressive of how good God is to repeat it again and again. When you're walking along the road, when you go to bed, when you get up, can we over-communicate what matters? And I wanna say this, kind of as a a quote for us to kind of go by. We build culture in our home by putting words to our passion. We build culture in our home by putting words to our passion. A few years ago, I think I was about, I don't know, 35 years old, 34 years old, and we, had, we just had our fourth kid. And Libby and I are, are with this baby at the house, and, and, and all of a sudden I looked over my wife and I said, we don't even know what we're doing. Four kids in, and we have no idea what we're doing. And it took us about two years for this concept of sitting down and understanding what is God wanting us to do, And raising kids in our home. What kind of petri dish are we providing for our kids to grow out of? And we have to be careful to understand it's our responsibility to put words to our passion. Why is that important? Because the culture of any organization, any business, or any home, it leaks. And you have to do it over and over and over again. It's like telling your kids over and over, clean up your room, clean up your room, clean up your room. It's so annoying, but the day you stop doing it, you pay the price, because it's awful. And I look, at, I look at my son sometimes, who's now 17, and he's a lot better, a little better, and, and I'm like, I remember when he was 13, I'm like, D- at what point does rote memory just kick in where you just throw your dirty clothes in the laundry? Why should your underwear be on the doorknob? It just has no reason to be there no reason but it's there why because the culture of our home leaks and it's our job as leaders in the home in a business in a relationship in a ministry to use words to describe the passion and who we are as people of God in that same story my son at the time he was playing football very passionate about football and all of a sudden we realized that our family was really stretched thin. Having five kids, it happens pretty fast. And my wife and I made a decision, and we said, you know, son, you, uh, we're, gonna, we're not gonna have you play football for a year. And you would have thought, you know, like his mom died. I'm not gonna play football. What kind of parents are you? Well, son, you know, you are nine years old, and our whole schedule revolves around you, and there's six other people, and so we want you to be a part of our family, and when you play football for five months out of the year, you're not even part of our family. And so maybe when you get to junior high and high school, we'll kick that culture back back into our culture of football for a year, where none of us are going to have extracurricular activities, and we're going to build the culture of our home. And it was a tough decision. But I will say this. Our family... And your family is more important than a sport that a kid plays. Or is it? You get to decide that. We decide as a family, we love you, but three nights a week, plus the games on the weekend, it's not where we are in life. It's not what God has for us. Now, he plays varsity football, you can't even remember the year he didn't play. He doesn't even, I mean, it it was just another year. But we remember that because it was a year we had to reset the culture of our home. And we get that responsibility as Christ followers to set that culture. So that was number three, putting words to our passion. Number four, go public with what matters. Go public. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse eight says this, Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. And I have this image. Can you imagine if every time you came to Timberlake and when you walked out the doors, that one of the, the greeters of the door would stamp your forehead with the outline of the message for the weekend? Wouldn't that be awesome? Ben's like, oh, let's just do that next week, right? And it stamps it so wherever you went, everybody knew what you heard that weekend. Wouldn't that be awesome? Somebody's like, no. But that's the imagery that God gives us to stamp it on your forehead and make it public and make it publicly known that I am your God and that I am with you. That's the language. Are we going public with what really matters to us? Does our public persona match up with our private persona? So my 14-year-old, I have a lot of stories with my 14-year-old because we have a love-hate thing going on, and it's just, it is what it is. And she says, Dad, why do you talk like that on the phone? Or Mom, why do you talk like that on the phone? When you get on the phone, you're so much nicer than when you talk to me. I say, well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> They're nicer to me than you are. I should call the police on you. I'm in an abusive relationship with a 14-year-old. That's how it works. But she... She just calls us out. You, you, you talk so much. When you go to church, you talk nicer to the church people than you to me. And she tries to put this guilt trip like, you're not the same person in public that you are in private. You're just not. So what do I try to do? I try to embarrass her in public. That's just how it works, right? But, the, but in all reality, does our public persona really line up with our private one? Because what we truly believe, because of our passion, because of what matters, should be made public. It doesn't mean you need to decorate your yard with 100 Bible verses. It doesn't mean you need to put a Jesus sticker on every car you own. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is who you are outside of Timberlake, who you are outside of your home, should match up with what you say really matters to you and to me. At our church, we have these stickers on the back of the cars, and a lot of people like having them, and I hate them. But our executive pastor, when I first came on staff, made me have one, so we just left it on. Why? Because I want to be able to honk whoever I want. I want to be able to yell whoever I want. But now I have the church sticker on. And I'm the teaching pastor, so it shouldn't matter, right? But how many times do we forget that? To let the public side of us match up with the private persona. So go public with what matters. And, and number five, get creative with what matters. Get creative with what matters. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. He didn't say how to do it. There's no instructions in here. Now here's how you write them on the doorpost. And here's exactly what I want you to do on the gates. There's room for creativity, but go public with it. Get creative with what it looks like to love God publicly and to lead your home in a way that matters. I have a friend in Dallas, he's an incredible man, uh, he's a businessman and he, and he builds homes and uh, we, were, we were in small group together 20 something years ago and he was broke, had nothing and built his first home and now he's a multimillionaire. He's got all sorts of businesses and about 10 years ago he realized that he worked so hard to build this life for his kids and his kids had, didn't remember one single moment of when they struggled financially. And he could tell there was a culture in his home of just being entitled. So one Christmas he showed up Um, And there were no presents. There was no presents. And his kids were freaking out, like, well, wait, wait, this is not Christmas. There's no presents. And he decided to give them a gift of what really mattered and the culture of their home. And he gave them the gift of time. And for the last 10 years, they haven't received one single Christmas gift. Because every Christmas morning, they get up, and they're all busy, and they go spend 10 days on vacation together. And now nobody else goes. Because time was the real important gift. Are we willing to stop habits that we have to align ourselves with what we say matters? And what we think before God matters. And I know it's not easy. And I know it can be tough. But I'm telling you something. If you do it, it will make a difference for generations to come. Last story, I'm going to pray for you and be done. When I was a teenager, I hated my dad dropping me off at school because I was too cool for that. That was one. The other thing, my dad was in a robe and chanclas every day, so it was definitely cool. If you don't know what chanclas are, <laughs> they're, this is a Mexican way of saying sandals, right? And, uh, and so I'm like, Dad, you're not dropping me off like that. I mean, my dad was like typical, put the robe on, walk out. Who knew what he had underneath? But he wanted to drop you off. I was like, no, Dad. But every once in a while, I'd be running late to school, and it was my last option to have my dad with the robe and the chanclas on, dropped me off. And when he did, he'd always say, give me a kiss. Dad, I'm 16 years old, I am not gonna, you give me a kiss or I'll get out of this car right now and walk around and everybody's gonna see the chanclas. <laughs> there you go. And I was embarrassed. And now, my dad's 65, I'm 41, and every time I see him, I can't wait to give him a kiss because he instilled something in me years ago that matter now. Why? Because I'm the dad who wants a kiss from his kids. It matters what we do, not just in the short run, in the long run. And that's what God desires for us, that he'd be at the center of our lives in such a way and so tangible that it makes a difference now, five years from now, 25 years from now, 50 years from now. The words that come out of your mouth, in my mouth, they matter. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.